we're continuing to track with the journey of Paul and Barnabas. So to recap a bit, the story shifted its focus from Peter to Paul at the end of chapter 12. And in chapter 13, while they were in Antioch praying and fasting, and we talked a little bit about fasting on that day, Paul and Barnabas were commissioned by the Holy Spirit to take the good news to the Gentiles. See, Paul's conviction was to first go to the Jewish synagogues before preaching to the Gentiles, and each time it seems they were met with opposition. They met this false prophet, Bar-Jesus, the magician, who sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That was that moment where, where Paul looked him right in the eyes and said, you son of the devil, and he called him out harshly. In Antioch and Pisidia, things started out okay, but jealousy among the Jewish leaders led to an uprising against both Paul and Barnabas, turning Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas to the Gentiles once again. See, God's providential hand is at work in the midst of this entire story because the goal is that the gospel would extend to the nations, that, that, it, would, that it would overflow outside of the borders of Israel and cover the face of the earth. And now in chapter 14, the opposition starts to grow in its intensity. But Paul and Barnabas, they hold fast. And the shame, in the same way, they shake the dust from their feet and the disciples are filled with joy at the end of chapter 13. We see their ability to maintain hope and confidence. Opposition is not failure because while many of the Jewish people were closing themselves off to their own Messiah, God was at work opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. In reading Paul's letter to the church at Rome, it's clear that Paul's not happy that his brothers are, are not accepting the Messiah. And he's hoping that as the gospel goes to the Gentiles, it will, it will spur some jealousy in his own people, a larger conversation for another day. But this morning, we are going to look at how the, the, the nature of the mission of God is cross-shaped and how God continues to demonstrate his faithfulness. I don't know if you're catching a theme. We've been talking a lot about faithfulness over the course of these last few months because we see the faithful hand of God in the midst of this mission that Paul and Barnabas are on, that Peter was on, that the early church was on. And, and the confidence that we can draw from that is that the same God who was at work then is at work in our lives today and is at work in our church today. And so with that, let's jump into our text, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Let's take a look. It says this, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. All right, so keeping with their convictions, Paul and Barnabas, they enter the synagogue and begin to do their work. Where many believed, but there were those who did not believe. And so the city, as it says in the text, was divided. We've experienced division a little bit, right, over the last year, and, and, and much so in our entire lives. There's division everywhere. This is, this is the world. The world is divided. 
And, and the beauty of the gospel is that it does seek to unite. We actually see that throughout Paul's epistles, that unity is one of those things that he, he cares so deeply about. It's something that we've been talking about for the last year, how important it is for us to be unified as the church. But these little things kind of creep in and they divide. And what we see here is an entire city divided over this good news. And so let's look at some things, a couple of observations and, and the thing I wanted to point out, I don't know if you've noticed, but week in and week out, I talk about observations that I make in the text. And I do that for a reason. I want you to see that, that how important it is that as you're reading your Bibles, that you take note of things, that you ask questions of the text, that you look at those repeated words and phrases, because those are the things that, that are going to pop out, that are going to give you a, more, of an, more of an idea of what's actually happening in the Scripture. So I make those observations, one, because I need them, and two, I, I want to show you that that's how we study the Bible. Observations is one of the main ways we study the Bible. And so one thing that sticks out, it says that they spoke in such a way that a great number believed. I thought that was interesting. Because they spoke in such a way. There's actually something to the way we proclaim the good news. Right? We don't just go out there and just bang people over the head with the Bible. That doesn't actually work. And, 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 and often when we do see people doing that, they'll like to point to one particular event where, well, well, no, it did work in this one instance. But just because something works in one instance doesn't mean that's the way we should go about doing it. See, there's a winsomeness to Paul and Barnabas in the way they proclaimed the good news. So they spoke in such a way that many believed. And then it says, an interesting thing, is that we see there's this, there's this weird unity that occurs in this passage, that actually Jews and Gentiles do come together for the purpose of persecuting Paul and Barnabas. See, that's not the unity that God's going for. That's not the unity that we should be pursuing. We don't want to come together so we can hurt people, right? Like, that's not the goal. We're looking for a different sort of unity, a unity in the faith. And, and this unity is, is not the one that we're looking about. But, but the thing that stands out in this section most to me is verses 2 and 3. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so Paul and Barnabas, when they see that those who were believing in the gospel, that they were being targeted by the unbelieving Jews, they make a decision to remain for a long time. To remain for a long time. They remained demonstrating their, their care for these newly converted believers. See, see, there's something to be said about remaining. There's something to be said about sticking it out. Now, now, there's wisdom, and we'll see that they do flee at one particular moment. But as of right now, they choose to remain for a long time to care for the saints, to care for those new converts, to show what faithfulness looks like. Because, see, the thing about our God, he doesn't run away from the pain. He doesn't run away from the difficulties he too chooses to remain for a long time. So we see that the, that, that the nature of God is being exhibited by the people of God right here, that they choose to remain for a long time because they see these little ones being poisoned and being drawn away from the faith. It'd be similar if you saw your children being, being, being disrespected or being treated harshly and you say like, well, I don't want any part of that. Right. How many of you with kids would just kind of leave them, be like, well, I, I don't want to get involved in that. I'm going I'm to protect myself. 
No, in fact, I think if, if, if we're parents, and I apologize to those of you who are not parents right now to kind of go on this long rabbit trail about parenting, but if you're a parent, you're going to remain for a long time with your child if you see that they're in turmoil. You're going to protect them. You're going to care for them. You're going to teach them how to deal with that turmoil because there will come a day where, where you won't be around. And you're going to fight fiercely for them so they know that when they kind of live their lives, they'll be able to figure out something similar is happening here. Paul and Barnabas choose to remain for a long time to teach them how to endure difficulty, how to engage in this mission of God that is just kind of just it breeds sort of persecution. Faithfulness means we will suffer. We're going to see that kind of throughout the text. And if we know that faithfulness leads to suffering, we need to know how to engage in that suffering. We need to know how to stand firm. And that's what we see Paul and Barnabas doing here right now. He's encouraging them. He's encouraging them. What did they do? They spoke boldly, meaning that they engaged in the difficult tasks of discipleship and discipleship in the midst of fierce opposition. See, this is faithfulness. This is faithfulness. And the Lord was with them, bearing witness to the word of his grace by providing signs and wonders. By providing signs and wonders. See, what's the point? The Spirit of God, once again, he authenticates the message. And the message is a word of grace. The grace that is poured out on those of us who have been called by God. The grace that saves us from our sins. That brings us into the family of God of God. It's a word of grace. And again, we're reminded of the faithfulness of God. He shows them. He shows them by these signs and wonders. He's, he's like, hey, no, 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 no. I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. Even though you're going through what you're going through, I am with you. And some of us might need to hear that this morning, that whatever you might be going through, God wants us to know that he is with us. He's with us. And we're going to see as this passage unfolds that, that while right now we're looking at signs and wonders and we're going to in a minute see a healing of a lame man, that the ultimate sign and wonder that we've talked about a number of weeks back is the people of God themselves. We are the sign and wonder to the world, pointing people to Jesus. And that means that when, when we want to experience the faithfulness of God, we come here. Because we can experience the faithfulness of God in the congregation of his people. Because that's where we draw that encouragement from. And we're going to see that kind of unfold throughout the text. They remain for a long time with them. See, verse 7 also stood out to me as I was looking through the text. Because it says, um, it says they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And it says that they continued to preach the gospel. They continued to preach the gospel. Now, yes, they fled because, you know, as the old quote goes, like, he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. There's wisdom there. But they don't flee and then just say, you know what, that was too much for me. I'm out. They flee and do the exact same thing in another city. They continue proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They continue. This is something that marks their entire lives, and it's something that needs to mark our entire lives. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And we're faithful because, because God is faithful to us. 
And so we continue in that faithfulness. And and the question I kind of want to pose as I was working through this text is, what is it about the faithfulness of these early apostles that inspire us so much? And, And then on the flip side, what is it that keeps us from pursuing that same sort of faithful living? That keeps us from pursuing it because we are inspired by it. We love reading these stories, but it is a struggle for us. I think one of the reasons why it is such a struggle because we're so easily distracted. We don't necessarily have to be faithful. Things are okay for the most part. And even in the midst of of the year we've had as as a country, as a a world, it's it's still not as pressing as maybe we think it ought to be or as it ought to be. And so the faithfulness of God, we see it just manifested here both through these signs and wonders that he is actively doing, but notice that it says he's doing them through the hands of the apostles, right? There's this participation that we experience as followers of Jesus. We get to participate in, in, in the work that God is doing, and that's exciting. Like, and I talk about that often, this, this whole idea, even our mission statement, right? We share together in the life of Christ by loving God and neighbor. We share in the life of Christ. We participate in the work that he does, We are that servant of God that points back to the servant of God who is Jesus. What a beautiful thing, right? That when we are brought into union with Christ, we are the the, the manifestation of, of the body of Christ on earth. When people look at us, they ought to see Jesus. And so we participate in this kingdom work as we as we care for the poor, as we care for the marginalized, as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. We're participating in this work. We're sharing in this work as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, as we lay hands on one another. We're participating in this work. We're doing the work of the ministry. Be encouraged because I know we're doing that here. And we're not doing it perfectly by no means. But I believe that Redeemer Fellowship is a faithful community of saints looking to honor God. I'm encouraged by that. Even just sitting here this morning and seeing everyone and hearing everyone singing and praising the Lord. And and, and there's joy on our faces. And some people have sorrow on their faces. But whatever it is, we're here together. And, and 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 the Spirit of God is here. Like, that's just real. He's in And that needs to encourage us. That needs to encourage us. The text goes on, verses 8 through 18, mistaken identity, the second point in our outline. As Paul and Barnabas continue their journey, they find themselves now in Lystra, about 19 miles south of Iconium. And here's where things start to get a little nuts. Verses 8 through 10, let me just read it. It says, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. And had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him. And seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, this is very reminiscent of another story back in Acts chapter 3. I actually want to read that really quickly because I think it's that important to notice the similarities. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, same exact words, was being carried, whom they led, laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter, directing his gaze at him, and as did John, said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. 
expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping or springing up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And so we see that what's happening in chapter 14 is very similar to what's happening in chapter 14, chapter 3 and 14. I think I said the same thing twice, but you know what I mean. And the point is, is that what was happening in chapter 3 was taking place in Jerusalem at the temple in Israel. And what's happening now is happening outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem. See, See, the good news is spilling over into the Gentile world. And what Luke is trying to do as he tells this story, he's trying to say, remember what happened there? Guess what? It's happening everywhere. See, the Spirit of God is unleashed into the world. And and new creation, because that's precisely what this language is alluding to, this leaping language is taken from Isaiah 35, where it says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In other words, new creation is in their midst. And it was in their midst at the Jerusalem temple. And in chapter 3, it's in their midst here outside of another temple, the temple of Zeus. See, God is making his presence known, and he is spilling new creation over into all the world. This is not just something that was for Israel. This was something that was for all the nations, all the peoples. And most of us are sitting here because the gospel goes forth. The gospel goes forth. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing that, that as we walk with the Spirit of God in our lungs, we are experiencing new creation right here in our midst. When we come together and we sing the praises of our God, we are participating in new creation. That as we proclaim the kingdom of God, we are participating in new creation. As people come to faith, we're participating in new creation. As we feed the poor, as we care for the unborn, we're participating in new creation. That is a beautiful thing and that should that should give rise in, up to something in us that should get us excited oh the faithfulness of god that he fulfills that covenant he made with abraham that the blessing to the nations his son jesus is now manifested in the church as we go out and proclaim good news that is a wonderful story that the covenant-keeping nature of our God, we reap the benefits of it. Praise God. Verse 11 through 18 continues. And he says, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth. 
and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts and with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. I think it's interesting. He says in verse 11 that the people in, in this Lyconian language, they say the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. See, you know what's interesting? They're not too far from the truth. They're so close, right? They're missing it. They're off by like a few hairs. They get that something divine, something otherworldly is occurring in their midst. But see, they're attributing it to the wrong place. They're attributing it to the wrong place. And what's interesting also is if you remember in chapter 12 when the people were crying out that Herod speaks in the, in the language of the gods or whatever it says in there and, and basically saying, Herod, you're a god, and, and he accepts that. And notice he dies, and, and Seski, you preached on that, and there were worms and everything like that. And, and, and the interesting thing is that Paul and Barnabas, they don't want any part of that. They're like, no, 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 no. I am not a God. I am not one of them. No, I'm actually trying to point you to the living God. See, what you worship is dead. And, and, and he cares so much that he's willing to proclaim to them the good news that, no, 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 what you worship is dead. You need the living God. And see, all these blessings that you've experienced, these, this, this food and gladness and fruitful seasons and the rains that you've experienced, like these are all blessings from God, not all your false gods. And see, that's, the, that's one, like there's a couple things going on here, right? The faithfulness and graciousness of, of Yahweh, that, that even those who don't kneel down to him as king, he cares for. This is what theologians call common grace. That he is pouring out his blessings on all of humanity. On all of humanity. Why? Because he wants them to see him. He wants them to know him. And so they're attributing these good works to the wrong place. See, they're idol worshipers. That's the problem here. They're idol worshipers. And even after witnessing this miraculous healing... So many are unconvinced that the creator God, the living God, is in fact the one true God. New Testament scholar Craig Keener, he says this, Signs do not guarantee belief. They merely make the message impossible to ignore. They merely make the message impossible to ignore. And that's why we, the church, as the sign and wonder, the ultimate sign and wonder that's pointing to Jesus, that's why we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us. Because people are going to see the love and charity that we, we display toward one another, and they're going to want to understand it. And while they might not crown us Zeus and Hermes, they are going to wonder what's happening in that crew. And, and they're going to have to make a decision. Because it makes the message impossible to ignore. And if the scriptures are true, that, that they will know we are Christians by the love we have for one another, then that love we have for one another is that sign that's going to point people back to Jesus. And, and then it's on others to decide, well, do I want to accept where that love is coming from? Or do I want to continue in my sin? And we all have to make that choice. We all have to make that choice. 
But isn't it still the case, though, that people, while they might experience God's goodness, which all of us do if we live in this world and enjoy the fruit of God's good creation, that there is a fear to give up the things we believe are providing for us. Because that's really what's going on here. I think oftentimes we want to we kind of mock people who don't know Jesus, but the reality is all of us have lapses of faith. We all are hesitant to put aside what is old and jump into the new. We're all hesitant because what is old is familiar. What is old is comfortable. And what God is calling us into, even as followers of Jesus, what he's calling us into is new and unfamiliar territory. And unfamiliar territory is scary. It's dangerous. And I always go back to, to that quote from, from C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan, of course he's good, but he's not safe. And see, following after Christ and following in the path of, of, of the righteous is not a safe endeavor, but it is a good endeavor. It's not safe, but it's good, right? So we might not struggle with worshiping the gods of the Greek and Roman pantheons, but, but man, we still struggle to let go of our own vain things. Do we not run after the lusts of our flesh? Do we not believe that our security or our salvation lies in the health of our political systems and structures, the strength of our bank accounts, the comfort of our suburban homes, the arms of a loving spouse? Again, these aren't bad things. But when bad things are made into ultimate things, they become idols. And John Calvin was spot on when he said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. A perpetual, that means we're just constantly building them. Just constantly building them. And in the midst of it all, even after we have gone our own way as individuals, as the church, as creation, God does not leave himself without witness. Again, we're confronted with the faithfulness of God, and he wants to use us to show and tell the world of his faithfulness. Uh, but this is the story, right? It keeps going. We even saw in the Old Testament that Israel sought to return to Egypt. They didn't, they didn't want their freedom. They wanted to go back. Peter and the other apostles, after, after three years of ministry with their Lord, they go back to fishing. They go back to fishing. The churches in Galatia were tempted to go back to the old ways. And all of us are tempted to go back to the old ways, to those idols, because we don't, those things are familiar. Those things are comfortable. But God is calling to step out in faith, to, to allow his faithfulness to dictate our footsteps. We serve a faithful God. He's going to care for us in the midst of it. And he uses this crew right here to do it. Like That's what the beauty is. That's the beauty. We have one another. We have one another. And we need to lean on that. We need to lean on that. Some of us are going through things. We need to lean on one another. Lean on your brothers and sisters in your community group. Cultivate those relationships. Women, as you go to the breakfast um, in two weeks, not next week, in two weeks, as you go to the breakfast, it, yes, make the small talk, have fun, tell those jokes, but also make it a point to engage with your sisters in Christ. See how they're doing. 
Pray that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear as you enter into that space. That this is more than just a time to have oatmeal and bagels. That this is a time to experience the life of Christ with your sisters. And, and men, as we continue doing men's events, come to those events prayerfully considering how you, might, how you might care for the other men in our community. Or if you're in need of care, being humble enough to ask for that care. We have one another. We have one another. Another. The, the text continues. We're going to see how those one another start to bubble up here a little bit. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. To stone someone is to take big rocks and throw them at, at people, right? In case we're not aware. And, and typically it ends in death. In this situation, we'll see it doesn't end in death. And so maybe it wasn't an organized stoning. Maybe people were just kind of ticked off. And so they're like, hey, there's some rocks. Let's throw them. Who knows how it went? Like we weren't there. What we have before us is all we really know about the event. But, but Paul was stoned. So he was, he was in pain. That we can know for sure because, because they presumed him to be dead. And if you presume someone to be dead, most likely they're not walking around dancing. So something's up. Paul is definitely in pain. And then the text continues. When they, um, lost my spot. Uh, verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When he had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples and encouraging them. I'm going to stop there for a second. Because notice what happens in verse 20. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, and that language rose, that's, that's the same word for resurrection. So he's, Luke is constantly just kind of dropping hints about the resurrection throughout the text. But the disciples, they gather around him. Now, I don't know what happened when they gathered around him, but, but to use our, our Christian imagination a little bit, they gather around him, maybe they prayed for him. Maybe as he looked up half dead and he saw the, the people who had come to faith, he was encouraged, and he's like, he's like oh my gosh, like this is... This is doing something. God's at work, and maybe that's what got him up off his feet. We don't necessarily know, but we do know that his brothers and sisters gathered about him. They gathered around him. They cared for him. They cared for him. Oh, Redeemer, that we would have eyes to see the pain even in our own midst. That we would gather about those who are presumed to be dead, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, whatever the case may be, that we would gather about our brothers and sisters, encouraging them. I know that my life would not be what it is right now if it wasn't for my brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that I can point back, and I'm sure even as I'm, I'm saying these words, you can think of people or groups of people or families that gathered about you during difficult seasons in your life who cared for you. Oh, that's so important, Redeemer. We need that. It's, it's grace along the way. Because the Christian life is not just I get saved and I'm immediately in the presence of God. That's not what it is, right? It's this kind of like bumpy sort of ride as, as we make our way to the Father. And, and as we make our way along that bumpy ride, what surrounds that bumpy ride is the church. And that's where the Spirit of God resides, in the people of God. 
And so, yes, maybe we're not experiencing the signs and wonders on a regular basis that we see happening in the book of Acts. Maybe people aren't falling on the floor and, and speaking in tongues, and, and maybe we're not seeing the same types of healings. I'm not saying that those things can't happen, but I think we would agree that they're not normative. But what is normative is the love and care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. At least it ought to be. And again, that's the sign and wonder that points us back to our king. What a beautiful thing. And we need it. We need it. I need it. I cannot do this on my own. And I know none of you either can do it on your own. We can. And that's why God gives us this incredible blessing of the church. Even as you read through Paul's epistles, every time you see a you, more often than not, it's a y'all. We need a little southern flavor in here, right? It's a y'all. It's, it is a collective command. And we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer come, come September. And guess what? He's teaching them how to pray together. It's a corporate endeavor. And that doesn't mean we don't have our, our individual, personal, spiritual lives. We do. We need to pursue Christ on our own individually. But, but oh, Lord, man, we need, to, we need to pursue Christ together, together as the body of Christ. That's where our comfort's found. That's where our source of joy is found in the midst of pain. Why do you think they rejoice? They're rejoicing all the time. They're all, every time you see the apostles, it'd be weird, right? It's like I'm picturing in my head, like they're walking around like bloody lips, bloody eyes, like barely able to walk, and they're just singing praises to God. Who's in jail? Who's dead? And they're like, praise the Lord. I'm like, what's wrong with you people? Nothing's wrong with them. They have the spirit of God, and they have one another. So that's why they're praising the Lord all the time. It's such an incredible thing, and I want it. I want it, and we probably all experience little pockets of it. We've all experienced pockets of it. But man, don't we, don't we want more of it? That comes from us engaging with one another, caring for one another, praying for one another, providing for one another. Pete preached on a number of weeks back on, on chapters 2 and 4 on the, the nature of the church and how they had everything in common and there was no one with need among them. We need to care for one another. And we do that, right? Our diaconate does that through our benevolence. Like they, they, there's, there's financial need, but even in your community groups, before you just punt to benevolence, how can you care for one another? How can you provide for the needs of those in your own midst? And we saw that even with, with Deb Cook at the time where we were able to give that money to her and, and send her on our way. And what a beautiful testimony that is to our God's graciousness and faithfulness to us. Oh, he's good, man. He's so good. I love it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I was nervous about this text, but, but I think the Spirit did something, so I'm, I'm going to go with it. He goes on, when they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to, I and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. And this is interesting, right? He goes back, Paul and Barnabas, they go back and they start encouraging and strengthening the souls. And listen to his words of encouragement. This is important. This is important. Saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So his words of encouragement are simply articulating what is true. That, hey, hey guys, like, I know what you just saw. I know what you've experienced. 
I know there's division in these cities. I know there are people that are against you. Guess what? That's par for the course. That's par for the course. Be encouraged because that's the means by which you will enter into the kingdom of God. And so encouragement doesn't come with with the word like, hey, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Or like, yeah, no, I know that's hard. No, encouragement comes by by truth-telling, by simply saying yes. Naming the truth, yes, it's been hard. Yes, you have gone through many tribulations. Yes, look at me. I I was bleeding on the floor and you gathered about me. But guess what? That's the path. So be encouraged because you are on the right path. And if Jesus walked that path and was risen from the dead, so too will you be risen from the dead. Because we are glorified provided we suffer with Christ. See, that's what it means to share in the life of Christ. That's what it means to be in union with him. See, we walk in his footsteps. We pick up our crosses and follow him. And then he raises us up on the last day. See, Revelation, and I talked about it last week or the week before, it talks about two deaths. See, see, those of us who are in Christ will only experience the first death. We will not experience the second death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Yeah, death still stinks, I agree. I'm not one of those Christians who, who kind of laugh at death, like, ah, oh, no big deal, they died, they're going to be in heaven, hey, it's cool, right? Like, I mourn the loss of people. Death is the worst. Oh, but we can mourn with hope. And we don't have to necessarily fear that death. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's apprehension, I'm sure. I, I don't know what it's going to feel like. But I'm, I'm confident that I will see Jesus when I open my eyes. And that is a hope that we have as followers of Christ. We will not taste the second death. God is faithful. Oh, but to get there, you got to die. To get there, you got to die through many tribulations. See, that's encouragement. That is true encouragement because it's honest. It points to what is real in the lives of these people who just experience all sorts of turmoil in their churches. Paul looks at them and says, yeah, it's been hard. But God's faithful. And that's the path. You're on the right path. And the pain you're experiencing is because you're on the right path. And when they had appointed elders for them, verse 23, in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And again, we see that theme of fasting pop up again. And and as I shared with you, the the elders have been practicing a once a month where we fast for a day, once a month. And, And it's something I want to encourage us to even probably do more than once a month. But, you know, baby steps, right? What about Bob? Baby steps, baby steps. And it says, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. I mean, those all rhyme. Did anyone catch that? There's like a cadence there, right? But anyway. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they, gath- when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith, a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained 
No little time with the disciples. And, and I love what happens here. They go back to Antioch, the first Antioch, the place where, where they receive that calling from the Spirit to go out and proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. And what do they do when they're there? They, they kind of call everyone together, like, hey, can you guys come, come on? We're home. Can you guys come, come hang with us? Like, let's, let's get everyone together here. Let's get everyone together here. And I'm just kind of imagining, like, I can, I can picture Paul and Barnabas saying, hey, hey, everybody, like looking at the whole church. It was, it was a hard trip. It's a hard trip. I'm really grateful to be back with you guys, my brothers and sisters. It was really difficult out there. In fact, in fact, yeah, I know I have all these scars. That's because they threw rocks at me. But, I'm, but, but guess what? Guess what? The disciples gathered about me, and now, and now you guys are gathering about me. And see, there's, there's strength in the body of Christ. There's comfort in the body of Christ. There's a sense of peace and joy that we can receive from one another. And see, see that's what's happening. They go, they go back home. Antioch is their sending church. They go back. They go back and they, they, they kind of get some, they get some much needed grace from their brothers and sisters in Christ. Because they're going to they're gonna head back out again. They're going to head back out again. And they need that. Brothers and sisters, what, what do you think Sunday morning is? We need this. We're about to participate in the Lord's Supper. A means of grace where our souls are nourished spiritually by the body and blood of Christ. And we do it together. Right? That's why even, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, when we were doing online services, we, we did communion like the first week, and then, and then we stopped doing it. And that was intentional, and I want to kind of do a little bit of teaching here for a second. That was intentional because communion is meant to be participated with one another. It's a physical thing that we do together as the body of Christ. And, and to be perfectly honest, it felt funny to me doing it virtually. It didn't feel like something that we were supposed to. And this is not a word of condemnation. Like, I, I want to I, I be careful as I say these things because we all, we all did it. Oh, but how sweet was it when we first gathered together outside under that tent and we participated in communion together? And how sweet was it in September when we came back into this building and we gathered together? When we had those first couple of family nights where we were together because we recognized during that time when we were apart how much we needed each other. Redeemer, we can't forget that. In fact, I think we need to view that time where we were apart from one another as a grace of God. As a grace of God because it, it forced us to realize how much we need one another. And, and my fear is, as things are opening up, as we remove masks, as, as, as the virus is starting to dwindle and, and we're able to kind of get back to normal life, that we'll forget how much we need each other. Oh, we need each other, Redeemer. I can't, I can't express that enough. And we see that here. How important it is for us to be with one another, to care for one another. Use the church. Use the church in that way to both receive the blessing from your brothers and sisters and to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters.
What an incredible thing that we have, this, 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 this faith that we share together. And then it says in verse 27 that it opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And, and, and this is where just like the beauty of the literary sort of mastery of Luke in that he's, he's setting us up for the next chapter. He's setting us up because there's a few people who are still thinking, yeah, I, I guess Gentiles come to faith if they get circumcised, if we add to the Lord. And we're going to talk about that next week. But my encouragement to you is that we would not only trust in the faithfulness of God, but that we would be the hands and feet of God's faithfulness in the lives of one another. Paul and Barnabas remained for a long time in Iconium, encouraging the saints. The disciples gathered about him after he was stoned, caring for him. Paul and Barnabas returned to enemy territory, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, leaving them with elders so they would not be left on their own, that they would be cared for. And then following the difficulties of their journey, Paul and Barnabas returned to their sending church in Antioch, where they gathered the church together and remained no little time with them. The life of faith is marked by the cross, but the community of faith through the power of the Spirit, fills us and encourage us, encourages us that we might continue running the race. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God. Oh, we love you so much. And we thank you for how you have just displayed and manifested your faithfulness to us in such real and tangible ways, Lord God. We can't, we can't pretend that this is just merely a spiritual thing that's happening out there, Father, but but, but, oh, God, you care about the physical world and you care for us. You care for us physically. You care for us emotionally. You care for us spiritually, mentally. You care for us, Lord God. So much so that you gave us the people of God that we can rest upon, that we can lean into. Lord, you called us to set up elders so that we have people to care for us and shepherd us. Lord, I pray that we would, we would take advantage of that, Lord that we wouldn't forget what being a part did to us, Lord God. Lord, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.